Good morning, everybody. It's great to be back with you for another week of recorded worship, which I hope is the last week of recorded worship that we have together for some time. We're going to continue to live stream our services, but starting next week, June 14th at 10 o'clock in the morning, June 14th at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a single worship service outside on the lawn. We're going to go to the library side of the church and have musicians and speakers up on the sidewalk and folks can gather on the lawn on the grass we want you to bring your own lawn chair and a face mask and come and and sit out on the grass and and maintain physical distance but if you're uncomfortable with that if you're uncomfortable with being being around other people at present or you have other health concerns and underlying issues that raise your risk um, for the coronavirus we're going to also be parking people on the street. We've, uh, the town of Newland has allowed us to kind of block off um, the block that connects us in the library. And so we'll have people parking you beginning at 930. And you can stay in your car and still be present for worship. We tested sound last night. It's going to be clear. But if you don't want to do that, if you, if you are not able to, uh, to come and to be in your vehicle or not able to come and be on the lawn, we're still going to live stream this service. And so we'll have a video that you can watch at home at the same time as we gather uh, at 10 o'clock. We'll have that up on our website. We'll have uh, a link for you in your inbox. And so there'll be multiple ways to watch and to participate. Uh, so be praying for that, be praying for good weather especially, and for safety for all, and we pray that God might be glorified. If there is bad weather, we will send folks home, and we will have a live stream service starting at 11 o'clock, and we'll send that out to everyone. So that's kind of our backup plan. I'm really, really looking forward to this, really looking forward to being together with all of you and seeing your faces, uh, really looking forward to worshiping God together. Oh my goodness, how good and sweet it is when brothers dwell in unity. Um, a great blessing. So looking forward to all that. That's the exciting news to be shared. Uh, but for this week, what are we going to do? First, I want us to review. Then we'll take a look at uh, kind of the, the past weeks, and then we'll move into Luke chapter 12. A question that is asked of Jesus and then something of an ambiguous response that he presents in response to that question. He tells a story. He tells a parable, which is always an invitation to enter in. So as we hear that invitation this morning, as we prepare to hear and to read uh, and to ponder and to treasure up the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you speak to us. You speak to us in your Son, Jesus, and in the power of your Spirit. So we pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would gather us in from all the disparate and very places that we are, across time and space. Gather us together as your people. Speak your word to us, which brings light and life uh, into our own lives and also into this world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin this morning, let's remember where we've been. We're doing this series called On the Road with the Savior. And we're taking the travelogue, the central narrative uh, of Luke's gospel, chapters 9 through 19, 
and using that as a way to kind of understand and process where we are as we also travel through this time of COVID-19, of pandemic, um, and of just upheaval in the world. And so in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus turn, and face, uh, turn his face towards Jerusalem, and we see him moving from Galilee, kind of the home territory, the normal space, the, the comfortable place. We see him turn and move through Samaria, which is the dangerous place, the place where he, as a Jewish person, is a bit unwelcome. Uh, there, there again uh, are racial overtones here uh, and disparate points of view. And then, through Samaria, he and the disciples journey all the way to Jerusalem, the city of peace, the place of victory, the place of the cross and the grave and the empty tomb, the place of the ascension and the sending of the Spirit, the place where the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, begins to be shared and spread and disseminated throughout the city and then throughout the world. So we're moving what I've tried to do is kind of layer this a little bit. So we see Jesus move from Galilee, comfortable, Samaria, through Samaria, uncomfortable, towards victory in Jerusalem. We've likened that a little bit to our pre-COVID-19 existence, which we thought was normal, which was comfortable enough at least. And now we find ourselves journeying through this dangerous, un unusual, strange time of pandemic, and we're moving hopefully towards a place of healing for the world. So we see that layered, uh, that basic movement of Jesus from, from Galilee to Samaria to Jerusalem in our own experience now from uh, pre-COVID-19 through pandemic to healing. But you can also use that threefold movement to describe the Christian journey. Um, you move through normal life, um, maybe a time before you came to know Jesus or came to take his good news seriously. And then you begin to follow him through an uncomfortable time and period of discipleship. Jesus says, follow, take up your cross and follow me. It's not going to be an easy thing. But he also said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So it's the both and of that which we experience now. Even in distress and trouble, we also, I pray, are experiencing the Lord's mercy and comfort, healing and peace. So we move from pre Christian life into a time of discipleship on our way to seeing God face to face. You remember our comments about Jonathan Edwards last week, this movement from seeing dimly to seeing clearly face to face. So that embodies also our Christian life, but we could even um, say that that's a scriptural idea and motif. I've got the story of Israel here who goes from a time, a pre-exilic time a time of peace in the land and prosperity in the land that God has promised, into this period of exile, of difficulty, being taken from their normal lives and displaced. And then we see them moving through that into a return to the promised land, a sign of God's uh, redemption, love, forgiveness, and restoration. So we can see that in Luke. We can see that in our own lived experience now. We can see this in the basic Christian journey of our lives. We can see this in the story of Israel throughout the scriptures on multiple occasions. And why is that? Well, I think it's because it's also the story of the world, which moves from the garden, this idyllic place of life and communion and relationship with God, 
uh, into the time of the fall and into this time of the fallen world where there are pandemics, where there is sickness and death, where there is racial strife and tension. We move through this fallen world on our way because of what Christ has done back to God. We move through this world carrying, taking on this mission of God, taking on this work of discipleship on our way to heaven, the place where there is no more crying, no more tears, no more sickness and pain anymore, the place where um, God is all in all, where all is light, where we see face to face, where we're able to love God and love each other in perfect unity. It's the story of the world that we're talking about and that you're living uh, as a microcosm of this larger transcendent story that includes all of our stories. The Christian life, the Christian narrative, the story of the Bible makes sense. It can help you make sense of the world. And not just make sense of it, but help you to live in it faithfully and well. So that's sort of the big picture of what we're doing. How have we done that? Well, we've moved from Luke 9, 10, 11, and now today we'll be in Luke chapter 12. The first week um, in Luke chapter 9, we heard this call from Jesus to follow him. We saw several people say, well, sort of, yeah, not yet, maybe in just a little bit. Um, Jesus responded, and we learned that this was going to be a hard journey. We learned that it was incredibly urgent. There's nothing more urgent, especially now, than to follow Jesus. And we also learned that it was going to be blessed, this trip. Uh, full of suffering, full of strife, full, full of turmoil, full of difficulty. It's also going to be blessed because we journey with our Savior. We journey with God who made us, come to us to redeem us, to restore us, to show us how to live well and faithfully, to demonstrate to us what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, and to invite us to share in His very life for His glory and for the blessing of the world. It's, it's going to be hard. Nothing is more urgent, and it will be a blessing. So that was week one. Week two, we moved into this time uh, and the story of the Good Samaritan, one of the most famous stories that Jesus told. He's telling all these stories throughout Samaria. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Here we recognize and note, among so many other ways to read this passage, that Jesus is our Good Samaritan. That Jesus sees us in our time of distress and he does not pass us by. Jesus does not pass you by. Not in the big picture, not today. He always sees you. He always comes. He always binds up your wounds and with a heart full of compassion gathers you into his arms. He always takes you to the house of the Father. He always seats you at his table where he gives you um, bread and wine. He always washes your wounds in the waters of baptism. He always draws you to himself. He always tells the innkeeper, I'll be back and I will pay. I will cover any other debt. He always covers our debts. But Jesus buys us back. A powerful story of redemption as we navigate this difficult road. We can see ourselves readily as the man who has been set upon by robbers and beaten. So many parallels in our present day. Who comes to us? Who comes to you? Who comes to everyone across this world, regardless of um, age or race or wealth or fame? Who comes to every single one of us who bear the image of God? God himself comes to us in Jesus. 
with a heart full of love and compassion. So week one, hard, urgent, blessed. Week two, Jesus sees you. He sees us. He's coming to us and does come. Week three, last week, we took a look at Jesus and and, um, the gifts that he gives to us along this journey. He is with us and he gives us gifts that we might receive ever more of his life. So he gives us the gift of prayer. And we talked about prayer as the means of grace. The Lord's prayer was the prayer that he gave and taught his disciples. The one thing that they ever asked him to teach them. But prayer in a general sense is also a means for us to receive Jesus. To experience union with him and experience communion with him and no encounter with him. And so today, having taken this whole big picture, the big journey of where we are, trying to make sense of that in light of the Christian story, specifically in Luke 9 through 19, we're now to the point where we can come to Luke chapter 12. And so that's what we're going to be today, Luke chapter 12. And uh, Jesus is going to tell us a parable. Uh, It begins with a question. So we're going to read the question. We'll take a couple minutes and then we'll come back and see Jesus' response. And so this is Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. We'll go through verse 21. So get your Bible, uh, pull it out, take a look, follow along. Jesus is journeying through Samaria. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus on the road to Samaria Here's someone in the crowd say to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So much is going on here, isn't it? Jesus, as a rabbi, as a teacher, was seen uh, to also be one who could judge. Uh, Even today, um, rabbis will adjudicate issues of, of the law for people. A man comes to Jesus and asks him to make a decision about an issue regarding his inheritance, which means that his father has died, which means that his brother, apparently, has not done what he was meant to do, has not faithfully distributed uh, the inheritance that belongs to the sons of the father. So there... So one, here's the man's presumed grief at the passing of his father. Uh, Secondly, we see his brother is in fact dealing unjustly with him. And so he comes to Jesus with a cry for justice. Now that ought to begin to sound really familiar to us in our present day and time. In fact, we could go through each one of these parts of the story. People were crying out, for justice, people who were sick say, "Lord, why? Where are you?" Um, 
people in your own life, when you treat them unjustly, say, why have you treated me in this way? What is going on here? People across our country are crying out for justice. Cries abound in your own life, in your own family, in your own society, across the world. As we journey from the garden through the fallen world to the kingdom, we will always be hearing cries for justice. It is good that the man brought this to Jesus. But Jesus, as God with us, has a response that I wasn't exactly expecting. I thought Jesus would say, okay, well, tell me some details and let's get this worked out. Jesus doesn't appear to answer the cry. Or he actually comes at it from maybe an indirect way and gets to something more fundamental in the man's life. And so here is Jesus' response. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. A man comes with an urgent cry for justice. My brother's not doing what he's supposed to. He's supposed to divide the inheritance. Do something, Rabbi. Tell us how to work this out. Jesus well, Jesus tells a story. He, he sees something, he identifies something in a way that we can't do. We can't see into people's hearts. Jesus could. He saw there was something more fundamental to the man's request. And he saw that covetousness lay at the heart of his desire to have and have and have. And so he tells a story about a man who had so much. Are you just going to be about the work of gathering it up more and more? becoming rich in this world and not rich towards God. Uh, so a few things I noticed about this story, just three quick things. Um, the first, the man is all about self, self, self in the story, isn't he? The man in the parable, the farmer whose, whose crops have produced bountifully, uh, he first thinks to himself, then he speaks to himself twice. There is not a reference towards God on the part of the man. Self, self, self. The man is so focused on himself. He is, I mean, this is kind of the definition of sin. We, we, have, we have turned inward upon ourselves. It's the basic problem of Adam and Eve, right? They wanted themselves to be like God so that there wasn't a need 
in fact, for God. And the man is living in this fallen world, as so many of us do, without reference to God. So like so many of us, we live in this world turned inward upon ourselves. So that often, our intent and our purpose and our work is sent out to justify our own living. I had an experience with that this week. Someone shared with me a way in which I had wronged them, failed them in love. Oh man, the initial impulse is to oh justify myself, to to demonstrate why. In fact, oh no 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 that we, we've just we've missed the. Um, you missed what I was trying to do, but that I'm just trying to make myself look. But I, I'm that was not done in conversation with God or reference to God. That was just what did I do? What did I do? What I, the man talks to himself, thinks to himself, speaks to himself again. He's a, I mean, it's almost comical. He says to his soul, soul. Like who taught? Who does that? The man is so turned inward that he's living without reference to God. He misses even the fact that probably despite a whole lot of hard work on his part, and this gets to the core of our Protestant work ethic, um, even despite all this hard work that proves such a bountiful crop, who, who allowed that crop to grow? Well, God did. There's never any word of thanks. So the caution here from Jesus as we seek to navigate this time um, going through the fallen world, traveling through Samaria, moving through pandemic, is not to become self-obsessed. Not live with everything done in reference to you. James K.A. Smith has this, this great example of how our world ever, in just an ever-increasing way, is turning inward. Mainly uh, through reference to your cell phone. Mine's sitting right here. Your cell phone. Now the world can be brought right here to you. And you can manipulate the world as you will. If you don't like something somebody says, you swipe right through it. If you want to um, look at Google Earth, you can see the whole thing right there. In fact, all of your worst passions can be brought to bear on that device. Inflamed, made worse. We, our devices are mirrors of our soul in some way because we are the ones who tend to focus more and more on more what we desire, on what we want, on what we think. And so we live in a world without reference to God, without reference to others, turn in on ourselves, manifest itself in another way as we choose which news station we want to watch, things that will reinforce and tell us again and again what we think, what we already want to hear. The man's turn inward. Self, self, self. The second part, second thing I noticed, things, things, things. The man has been blessed with a bountiful crop, so much so that his barns can't even keep it all, can't even store it all. He says, what am I going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can store all my things, so that I can eat and drink and be merry. His life is lived in reference to himself and the pleasure that he has from getting from consuming, which is also maybe a good word to our culture, which lives by way of consumption. Even now, we consume media. Right? 
You're doing that in one way now through this recorded worship. But it's easy to move off of this when you get a little tired of it and go do something else that will entertain you a bit more. He's living his life in reference to things, accumulating things, buying things, taking up things, acquiring things, storing things. It's like our own houses. It's like my house. Man's living in reference to things. St. Augustine has this amazing um, section in his book on Christian doctrine, on Christian teaching, in which he distinguishes um, things in some basic ways. Things can either be used or enjoyed or used and enjoyed. And things, when they, most things in your life should be used as a means to encounter God. God gave us the world as a means of communion with Him, but so often we take things and we just consume them as a means to build up ourselves. Everything in your life, rightly used, is meant to lead you and direct you to God. The man is not allowing these things to lead him to God. He's using them simply for his own pleasure. The man's all about me, 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 self, 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 things, things, things. A pretty good depiction of our me-focused, consumeristic culture. These are massive forces that influence you um, and which are ingrained in your life and mine in deep, deep ways, ways that we miss. It's maybe why Jesus comes to us in the face of our, our, um, uh, our, our questions and gets to something that goes deep down, encourages us to live a life in reference to God. In fact, in this instance, the man never acknowledged God. God came to him, which in one sense is a message of the good news of the gospel, right? That, hey, we can't work our ways from this world, from our fallen selves, from our obsession with things, materialism. We can't work our way or, or, or open up the heavens to reach up and grab God, and tell him to come down here and Let's, uh, um, let's see what this world's about. Or take me up there so I can be with... We can't do that. God comes to us and God comes and he speaks his word and he says to the man, you've been a fool. Live foolishly. You've lived life in this world through this fallen space without reference to me. And tonight your soul is required of you who are so you're just conversing with your own soul, obsessed with your own self, yourself's required. Of you tonight. And now, whose will all this stuff be? What good is it, Jesus says in another place, to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? Our true self, as we've talked about, is hidden with Christ and God. It's been taken up by Jesus in his ascension. Our true life is hidden with Christ. It's not necessarily found by acquiring things, by turning inward. It's discovered by seeking Christ, by walking with him as a disciple, by living life, all of life in reference to God, by thinking about the things we have in reference to the God who has given them, by thinking of our own soul in reference to the Lord who loves. This man's soul was required of him on that very night came unexpectedly, came by surprise to him, for he was not ready. So as we think about this parable, as we hear Jesus telling this story, 
I'm convinced that I personally don't have all the answers to all the questions and that a meme from me on social media is going to fail grossly to do justice to the complexity of issues that we face uh, that dominate the news presently. Um, I can say in the Christian life there's no place for racism, that that's something that the Lord must root out of our hearts, that human beings black, white, brown, are all created in the image of God, worthy, deserving of love, respect, honor. I can't figure out all the issues. I cry out for justice to the Lord. Cry out for justice in the face of pandemic. I don't know how all this is going to be sorted out. But I think what Jesus wants to do for all of us is to get down into the depths of our hearts to go beneath the initial presenting issue down into the depths, down to the central things and bring healing there. To turn us away from our self-obsession, to turn us away from our obsession with the world and our acquisition of it simply for our own pleasure. Jesus wants to open our lives towards Him, towards God. And it is through this opening, through this um, coming to us and speaking His Word and revealing to us what it means to live in relationship with Him and to share in His life. As He does that, our souls will now be things that can be a blessing to the world. We're not just dashing here and there, um, eager to share our own opinions. But we're listening to God. We're recognizing the image of God in our fellow human beings. We're seeking the kingdom which Jesus brought to earth and inaugurated and now grows in His church, the kingdom which shall come in all its fullness at the end of this journey. Jesus wants to do those things. He wants to get beneath the things we want to talk about to the core issues of your heart. Invite Him there today. The Lord who comes and walks with us says it's hard, it's urgent, and it will be blessed. The one who comes does not pass us by. What an incredible image as we've been thinking about someone uh, laying hurt on the street, George Floyd, and we recognize that Jesus didn't pass him by. He heard his cries. He hears your cries and mine coming from all the places they are. He hears them. He meets them. He gives us prayer as a means of uh, receiving his life. And finally, he also gets beneath our, our ways of self-justification, our self-referential living to the issues that are deep within us. He calls those forth. And I wonder what He might call forth in you today, this morning. Listen. Hear the story. Hear the grand story. Hear the big story. Find your place in it. Hear Jesus speak. Allow Him to heal you in order that you might live as a witness to him, bringing peace, love, and hope to all you encounter. Bless you, church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, looking forward to seeing you. Seeing your faces next week, June 14th, 10 a.m. Amen.